1: Enjoy the
0: episode.
1: Coach is real treat today. We have Mike McKay here, performance manager with Women's High Performance for Basketball Canada and as many of us know, is heavily involved in coach education for Canada basketball, but also for the world. Mike, thanks for
0: joining us and for sharing the game. Well, thank you, Chris. I always love to talk the game, as you know, and uh, anything I can always do to help people learn this great game, uh, I'm more than willing.
1: Well, you're wonderful. You're a great sharer. And uh, let's start with something uh, that I know is on always on our minds. And that's how often as coaches, we talk about things without facts in support of what we say.
0: Yes, <laughs> we all do that. And, and I'm probably more guilty than others. And, and a lot of it is because, I mean, I've been around so many good coaches, and you're always reading and, and you just pick up on ideas. But I'm also fortunate in my job, I get the opportunity to go back and actually say, whoa, now, let's put the brakes on here and actually go and, and use some of the science behind it and look at some clips or look at applying some of the science. And uh, uh, I, I think that's one of the most enjoyable things that I do is keep growing by learning more and more about the game, but using what I'd call the science part to it.
1: And the interesting thing, as we both know, is that some coaches that don't know the science but engage in divergent thinking just about thinking differently about things are often sometimes ahead of the science or doing things without even knowing the science, but intuitively
0: or through experience, they do things that make sense. Well, and I think it's that growth mindset. I mean, I, I tweeted something out, uh, I think it was yesterday, Chris, about the, the flow, you know, a skill equals challenge. And, and I think the great coach is constantly challenging themselves as this isn't working. How do I get, how do I get that, one percent advantage. How do I how do I get a little more to my athlete? How do I motivate this player? And and the problem with science is I can't wait as a coach for that perfect peer reviewed, uh, uh, you know, with information to come out. I've got to take a chance, and if I think I can get one percent, I'm going for it. So so yeah, I'm a big believer in science, but I'm also believe that you got to get in there and pilot things and try things and 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 yeah, use some of that anecdotal evidence, but then back it up with the science eventually. Right, and that's such a great point, too, because the other struggle with the science is that often it isn't
1: applied specifically to basketball. It's applied in other areas, and then you and I or others have to extrapolate the information.
0: Yeah, and you you also have to look at at some of the – I can remember a a report coming up one time. It was was very – very focused on what to do. But then when you looked at who they used, I mean, the context of who they were doing the experiment on was, you know, a lot of, as you know, in this country was university, university phys ed students. Um, Well, I'm dealing with high performance athletes. There's a huge difference between what a a phys ed student who maybe partially plays the game in a group of 10 people that were tested as to as to a highly trained basketball player so you always have to take it with a grain of salt sometimes too who's actually uh, who's actually the 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 research done with and does that going to apply to our game is that going to apply and and the other one I find too is a lot of it's it's so controlled a lot of it is individualized for an individual more an individualized sport and it doesn't account for that that you know that team part of the game of, of people working together Uh, It's a whole lot different to take a skill in isolation or take a skill that's where we got to get people to work together and someone's trying to prevent you from performing that skill.
1: Well, and that's why, again, you and I have had this advantage is that we've been able to, to get a ton of reps with experiments, with with trial and error. And I know you still coach and I've coached at camps and obviously have coached teams and you get these opportunities to be able to try some of these things and do it. And some coaches aren't afforded that opportunity because it's immediately in these pressure
0: situations. Well, it's, it's, you know, you you, you and I have been around long enough to know that, look, winning at the age that I'm coaching at is important but it's not the most important thing. Uh, it is mostly about helping these young women that I'm coaching. Uh, and I call it now the transformational coaching, helping them to learn life lessons through sport. But they also afford me the opportunity to try these things, but I'm very open with them. I'll tell them, Hey, I'm going to try something here. Tell me what you think. And they'll be very honest with me say, Mike, get rid of that one. That doesn't work. Or they're like, yeah, that was great. Keep going with that coach. That was really good. And you know, I build that relationship right up front. Well, you mentioned transformational, and that's
1: one of the things that, uh, again, is is a huge part of what you share. Is this transactional
0: versus transformational coaching? Can you just touch on that? Well, I mean, a lot of it comes from Jean Cote of Queens University. I'm pretty sure you would you have known him, but it's tremendous researcher. Yeah, really, really, the research behind it. But to me, what it was was it, it really solidified something I've always believed in: that my job was to help you know, change people's lives. And and when I started think, focusing on how do I help this person become a better person more than just a a, a basketball player? But I mean, I coach high school football and you're dealing with 60, 60 young men. And let's be honest, maybe four of them would go on and play university football. But every one of them was going to become, if they wanted to, a father, a, a, you know, a husband, a brother, an employee, a worker, a, a boss. And the more and more that I could help them learn those life lessons through sport, that became my focus. And, and, and it's, it funny. We actually probably played better too. Uh, and because you could motivate them and, and they, they really excelled and took on that leadership, but you know, it's really that there's those four key things that I really, I really believe in that one is, you know, one is you, you have to be a role model. Uh, I just can't see how you can motivate people without being a role model. Uh, and, the second one is you know, treat them as individuals, and I think that's been a huge one. Instead of treating players as a position, it's no, that is Sally who plays guard, but she is different than Susie who plays guard, right? It, it's, it's making sure that I treat them and get to know them, and I now use that term KYP, know your players, and uh, getting to know them and what makes them tick and then the, the big ones are it's challenging them but challenging them to think and uh, i'm a huge believer in in asking questions uh, and, and checking for understanding so so really challenge your players to think instead of just manipulating them as a as a chess piece and and those are the really the, the three big ones and then the other one i'm 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 draining i'm, I'm losing it right here but it's uh, it's it's inspiring them and by believing in them uh, and, and, and this one, Chris is that playing time one. We can all talk about how much I believe in my athletes, but boy, it'll, it'll really show when it comes to playing time. And I think in today's FIBA game, especially you need to play all 12 players. Now that does not mean, you know, five on five off every four minutes. That doesn't mean they may play every game, but I have to be able to be honest with those players. Say this is what you bring as a unique individual to our team, and these are the situations in which you're going to play. And, uh, uh, you know, it's
1: great stuff, and I, I love how you phrase it. And uh, let's, if we can, just dive even a little bit deeper for coaches. Like in terms of a, an example, transactional would be, for example, you do this
0: or you yeah, run. There's an, there's, there's, there's an yeah. even. There's an either or. You, yeah. you know, we've all done it. Yeah, of course. And, and I remember when I first started into coaching. You know, and let's be honest. Bobby Knight was was the mentor that a lot of people aspired to be, and it was very transactional and peer pressure punishment. You know, that's was that was how we motivated. And you know what? There are I still think there are times when it's everything is always Goldilocks to me too much, too little. But the balance cannot be mostly on the transactional side. No one is going to coach t- purely one hundred percent because we do have to decide who goes on the floor. And it is about performance, but it's just reducing the number of times that I'm using that as a threat to, to improve performance. So it's, give us the easy.
1: other side.
0: Give us the other side then. So instead of a threat, what would you we use? Well, what I use a lot is, is really, I think the number one thing that I'm still challenging myself on is how do I get the athlete to focus on the right thing at the right time? Where? How do I get them to believe that this thing that we need to focus on is important for them to improve? Because you you know that when you go in and and run a a drill or a practice, players are going to self-organize into a certain way that they play. The only way I know to get them to improve is to get to improve their awareness on something. So I have to come up with a way that's not transactional to get them to focus. And so to me, I'm using now, I mean, I You know, and I spent some time with Alex that you know really well, but um, this idea of the golden snitch. Now, it's a silly little thing, but I find with players, sometimes you need something like that that draws their focus to it. So, So let's say we're doing a drill on defense, sorry, an offensive drill, and I want my offense to get better at attacking pressure defense. Somebody's up in their face. Well, what I'm going to do is I need to get my defense to play more pressure. So I'm going to reward the defense by saying, look, you win the golden snitch if all four players in this possession on every time a ball moves gets ball pressure and calls ball. You win the golden snitch. Now, what does it mean they win the golden snitch? Well, for me, it's we just take a little picture with a golden snitch and they can put it on Snapchat or whatever, But, but, but it's getting their focus to that. The other thing I use now is, you know, take the old game of horse. And instead of being a negative thing, it's like you spell the letter H. So if, if your team got all people on the ball in that possession, you get the letter H. Now, somebody says, well, that's a transaction. Yeah, but it's not a punishment. I'm not punishing them because they didn't do it. I'm rewarding them for focusing on the right thing at the right time. So I'm always looking for those unique ways to get the player to really want to do that. Uh, and and hold each other accountable to it. And the thing is, you'll start to see the players, the girls will say, "Come on, we got we got to get ball pressure. We want to win that Golden Snitch. Come on!" And that's when you know that you've got them. It's when they start to like, hold each other accountable for the thing that you're trying to, to uh, focus on.
1: It's great. And you've already said a lot of things. And just so coaches are listening. I'm going to come back to a bunch of the things that you said and dive a little bit deeper. Uh, Alex Sarama is who you referenced there with the Golden Snitch and. For me, what this transformational part is, is I always connect it back to the player understanding that what I'm trying to help them do is either improve individually or help our team win. And that's that connection that we're trying to constantly make for them about why we're doing something.
0: Well, I call call Chris the commitment to the commitment. If once I can get a player to make a commitment to something... I'm gonna I'm gonna look them in the eye and say are you are you sure you want to, you're committing to this now now they know what that means and for me it means somebody it, it could be themselves it could be their teammates or me is going to remind you of what you committed to before what happens we're going to encourage you during when it's happening and then at the end we're either going to have a, a breakdown conversation or we're going to praise and have affirmations about our feedback on what you did and to me, that's, that's what we're trying to do. And I can get them to say, yeah, coach, I'm committed to playing ball pressure defense. Great. Now I'm going to hold you to that. Um, that, that, that I've learned a long time ago. And a lot of the work with Sefu and um, Sefu really's, you know one of my friends and colleagues in sport. And we talk about these kind of things all the time, how we coach. And uh, I give him credit for coming up with those commitment statements. Sefu
1: Bernard, yeah, tremendous, uh, tremendous thinker of the game as well. And uh, look, let's come back. I'm, one thing you said is check for understanding. And I know this is big and you've come up with some great things with this. And just to give coaches a quick reference, uh, this first came through for me in the teaching environment when I taught in a classroom. And it's like this, hey, does everyone understand? And then you get blank stares back, right? Inevitably, you're going to get nods and blank stares. So can you talk about how we should be checking for understanding?
0: Well, you know me, I'm a storyteller. So the way, the way I best, best explain it is it's that beginning coach. And let's say I'm coaching the game and, 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 and in, in our pregame practice, in our walkthrough and our scout, we said, we want to defend a ball screen a certain way. Maybe we were going to go over, you know, we're, we were going to go over. So, so the beginning coach is standing up on the sideline, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're giving all the information. They're not even talking to the bench they're not even talking to them. They're so engaged in the game. They're not even trying to check for understanding of the players on the bench. But the coach took a course and then he said, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to check for understanding, prepare my subs. So he goes to the bench and says, do you see how they went over that screen? See how they went over? Everybody understand? And everybody does what? They just nod their head. Absolutely. Well, the next coach would say, you know, he's took another course and he's tried to improve his coaching skills. And he would say, Hey, uh, Johnny, how how did, how did they, how did they defend that? Right. So now I'm starting to, to ask questions and I'm listening to what the athlete says. And to me, that's what I have to be able to do. I have to listen and be empathetic and, and, and try to picture what that athlete is saying. And then the most important one is then I repeat it back or paraphrase it back to give them a chance to make sure, yeah, coach, that's what I mean. And that's that final step of, of that check for understanding is, is, is that restatement back to the player. Now, can you do that in every situation in coaching? No, no. But there are certain times that you have to find ways to check for understanding. It may be just sometimes letting them lead a drill. Let them lead a drill. Let them be the ones who gives the key points for the drill. Let them hold each other accountable. Stop a drill sometime and ask another player, what did you see? How do you think we we can make this better? Instead of always our voice dominating the the conversation. I'm glad you said that it's not all the time.
1: Because again, I know that gets misconstrued about what I say. And I'm sure it applies to you too, is that people think that we're saying this is all the time. In sport and certainly coaching basketball, like it's this fast, open environment. And there's not this time all the time to do all these things we say.
0: No, it's. I mean, I always quote, Goldilocks. It's too much, too little, just right. The problem is is, is we all have a tendency, players in, included, we self-organize into habits. And I have to have ways to check my habits as a coach and say, oh, I'm talking too much now. Oh, I'm asking too many questions right now. Oh, I'm not getting any physical. I remember Don McRae was our former women's national team coach. And I was very fortunate. He came and and when I was doing my level four, he came to be my mentor. And he said, Mike, amazing teacher. But he said, you talk too much. He said, there's no physical, um, you know, they, they don't get tired because you're always stopping and correcting them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was the best feedback I could have ever have gotten. And luckily, it's from someone that I respected. You know, so if he told me that, it's probably true. And I was smart enough to realize I got to work on that. And it was because I I was trying to impress him with all this stuff that I knew that I wasn't really running a normal practice. So I think it, you're right. It's, it's that, but it's it's nice to have also people around you who are going to help you with that, who are going to challenge you and not just be, as I call them, uh, you know, I, I got to come up with a new analogy there, but I call it the Brother Daryl's, the old Bob Newhart show where the, the brother would come in and, and he would introduce himself and say, and this, uh, you know, I'm Daryl and this is my other brother, Daryl, my other brother, Daryl. Well, and they're all just yes people instead of having someone who had voices and would challenge. And that's what I think we need as coaches, people who challenge us so that we're not doing the same thing all the time.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that a, a bunch of things up there, but the one is about like, stopping to correct, stopping to teach. And to me, I always get challenged on that. Oh, well you your players don't like when you stop it all the time. I'm like, no, no, like it's not how much I stop it. It's how long I stop it for, yes. which is the key. And it's short bursts of information to get them focused or refocused or refine something and then move on and play.
0: Yeah. For, I call it freeze. I mean, you have another yeah. word for it, but I'm just, it's freeze yep. and cool. bang, like play, play, you know, re or, or rebuild it. You know, and, and that also is knowing who my athlete is, too. It's, it's like if, if, if there is a I call it like your IPP or individual performance, if there is something that you need to be focusing on and we've come to an agreement that you're committed to working on this, you're probably going to get stopped sometimes in practice on that. But someone else may not get stopped. And, and this whole idea, too, it, it's not about equality. It's equity. They don't need to get stopped for that. But you do, because this is big for you right now. And I used to joke with my players and my seniors would tell the grade 10s, look, he's going to have a game and we used to call it the guard game because it was usually the guards where he is not going to sub you out. You're going to be making a, all kinds of mistakes. You don't want to play and he will not take you out of the game and it is going to be the worst experience, but it will be the best experience for you. You know, and and to me, they needed to learn. There become a certain game. And I just decided this is the time they need to learn this. But that, again, that's not equal. It's 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 an equity thing, and, and it's, uh, you know, that balance always. Well, it's tremendous. And and again,
1: like we already said this, that connects back to, hey, I'm trying to help you improve yes. so that we
0: can win and you can have a better experience playing the game. Well, that's that long-term approach too. That's that transformational is, is I've always liked, there was a question, um, I think it was Newt Rockney, the old Notre Dame football coach with ask, you know, like, hey, coach, tell us about your team this year. And he said, well, wait 20 years and then I'll tell you, tell me what, what kind of you know, men they've become and leaders in our society. Well, that was always kind of that transformation approach I tried to take us. I might've been the only person, even include my assistant, who could see where I think this player is going to be by the end of the year or by their grade 12 year or whatever. And I was always just trying to keep working them towards that vision. Now, I would share that vision with them, but a lot of times young players can't see that. Uh, Today, we're so much more fortunate, Chris, with with the media that I can pull out a a role model. I can pull out a visual clip and slow it down, break it down, and here's what you could be. couldn't do that back in the day. Although I was one of the first coaches I know that had my own VHS, these Panasonic RegiVision back in the early 80s. And I was the first coach videotaping because I knew the importance of having that image for them to see who they could be. And it was not just the mistakes, but pointing out, here's the good things you're doing.
1: Well, I, I love the young people listening, Coach. They're going to have to reference Bob Newhart and Newt Rockney <laughs> and
0: VHS. What's VHS, Coach? Um, oh, my goodness. I know. Yeah. I know. All these The young amount people. of money, Chris. <laughs> I had a coach one time very recently tell me that he, he wouldn't pay, I think, it was $5 for Coach's Eye app. Hmm. Yeah. And I said – Do you know how much money I have spent in my lifetime on coaching for the ability to have have something that would slow down, freeze frame, and go frame by frame? I said, I bought a professional model VHS, forehead VHS, back in about 1982 for about $4,000 because it was the only VHS machine that would slow things in slow motion, and you won't pay $5 for an app? And I pulled up my wall and said, here's the $5. You want to be a better coach, you need to be able to watch tape in slow motion. Take a brief moment to
1: interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather-Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the Welcome Back to Sports bonuses. BetOnline your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. Such a great point. Uh, games approach playing while, or coaching them while they play the game. You had a uh, tweet recently that had this, which I thought was brilliant to share. Unwise to pursue a totally unstructured practice environment based on discovery alone. Again, this is something that always comes back to me. Is like, oh, you just let them play all the time, and it's not that,
0: right? No. no. It, 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 it. You have to have a plan, Chris. Uh, there's always a plan. And, and to me, the biggest issue I see with a games approach is coaches don't know how to make error detections corrections or they don't know what it is they're going to make the error detection correction in. Am I, am I coaching the physical in this drill? In other words, I just need to get them to a heart rate or to an effort level to get them there to stay in that. And I got to shut up and let them play. That is that what it is, or is I still correcting something biomechanical? Is there something biomechanical corrections that I need to make, or is it a decision, or is it their positioning? So I have to know the things that I think are important uh, for them to go to that next level the, and raising that challenge. And, and now I know that that should trigger me as to what type of interventions I'm going to make. And we talk a lot about TLC. Like, is it a, am I a teaching where we stop them? For everything or is it learning where we coach on the fly or is it competing let them play coach like the coach like the, and then we call timeouts and coach how we would in a timeout
1: and and it's such a such a key part of that is again not discovery alone is that we are using coaching interventions within this process as you
0: said tlc based on what we're trying to coach yeah. well what i mean i mean as we just said i'm not an absolutist There there are people who are, you only coach through small sided games. And, and I, I just say, look, it is a whole lot easier for sometimes for me to show an athlete a skill and let them work on it and wobble a little bit and then go play it in a game. than for me to hope that they make discover a step back. I've been around long enough to know that, I can put kids in situations where if they would just use the step back, it would solve the problem, but they're not going to do it because they have no model for it. There's no frame of reference for it. So, But if I show them a model, they're probably now, there's something I can use for the solution. So so I am not an absolutist um, on, on this. And I, and I know when you get to higher levels, you can be more and more. But when you're dealing with, with children, who you and I have both coached, you need to show them some things sometimes and let them go and wobble on their own. And that's where those, you know, block, um, on air drills still apply, go out in the backyard on your own and do a block, <laughs> uh, a block drill, figure it out.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I, I'm the same, like, I'm not an absolutist. And, and I'll take it even a step further to get your commentary on, which is freedom comes from structure. It's, you can't be free as a player unless you have a structure and sometimes it's a structure of possibilities and that's what we're trying to get them to, but it starts from a structure.
0: I I call it structured creativity and that's what we're trying to do within our women's, you know, our women's high performance program is we need to give people a structure and then let them be free within the structure. And, and, And I always say as an old football coach, I could not let all 12 players have their own idea what we're going to run as a play. We would huddle up, we would call a play, we'd go up to the line of scrimmage, and everybody had to do their job at the right time. Well, it's the same in basketball. If we call an inbounds play, that's to get us into a structure of a formation or a position. Okay? Now, from that, we want them to read and make decisions based on the information they see. That's where the creativity comes, where you, if you structure and then structure to structure, that's where the problems lie. But you have to have everybody on the same page with a positioning to start in. It's the same thing on defense. I want you starting in a certain defensive stance in a certain position. But then we want to encourage you to be disruptive based on the information or the cues that you take in. But it starts with the structure. I hope coaches listen to that part multiple times. Inbound is
1: such a great example where I would actually have to explain to players within my philosophy that look, this part of the inbound, you can't break off the structure,
0: but after this part, now it's completely free to make decisions. Well, it's, it's, and I think that's the important piece. And I still go back to Don McCray. Don, and he taught me this way back. And I remember asking him the very question. I said, Don, when do we stop running the play and let the players play free? And it was, it was so simple. He said to me, Mike, as a pruner player, when there's a bad closeout. In other words, when the defender who's got their hands are down or they're not in a position, you've got full license to play. As an inside player, when we still played with posts, it was like, if you can get a good seal at the rim, take it no matter what. But, but at least he was starting to give me these, these hints as to, oh, I can now teach that to players. That's the teachable thing. I can, that's, not, that's not some mystery thing. Everybody can learn those. So then it's just a matter of growing those. And as you're right, I taught so much from inbound plays. Because to me, they're like playing baseball. Baseball to me is a great game for little kids because it stopped and everybody could think, okay, if the ball's hit to me, I do this. If the ball's hit there, I do this. And you got three chances, three strikes before you're out. So I just use that apply. But when you do an inbounds play, it's the same thing. The game freezes for a second and everybody offensively and defense can think about their position and what they're going to do. And now we can load in the cues for offense and defense. And I love it. I love what you can do out inbounds plays. I, I never understood the coaches in basketball said, well, we just inbound to get the ball inbounds. Like, You're losing out on one of the biggest advantages you have. I, and I couldn't agree more. And uh,
1: I have many examples of this on Basketball Immersion about us applying a games approach to inbound, but also breaking down inbounds because I I couldn't. We're so obsessive about breaking down five-on-five five half court, but really inbound is where you can gain a huge advantage working in some of these
0: small-sided game situations to be able to create these reads and decisions. Oh, well, I, I just used to have really one inbounds formation, but we had five, basically if you want to call them options or counters for every player on the team, Based and but it was all based on how the defense might play. And 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 as the game went on, we would just start to see because defense would self-organize. They would or they would start to defend our inbounds the same way every time, and then we just knew when we needed. We knew our reads, we knew our options, and it was so much fun to coach that way. So much fun to coach that way.
1: Right. Instead and of it, them
0: learning a whole bunch of plays and not having any depth in it, we learned one really really good. Now, as they got better, we could add in others, but we always started with this one play. And on the entire court, and it also became our first set we run too. Can you talk about this too, relative
1: to how it helps the defense? Because that's the other part that's such an advantage
0: of coaching with this type of philosophy. Well, it's it's defense. You have a huge advantage because I have four people, or sorry, five people guarding four. Right? I don't have to, uh, no rule says I have to guard. So, so when you want to introduce things like a double team, or you want inter- to introduce any kind of defensive switching or anything you're trying to introduce and it's a great way to introduce it's a and and like uh, i still remember the first time i i I saw somebody switch off the inbounder defender and guard the first player coming off the screen and i was like i've never seen that before oh my goodness what an advantage that is you know and there's just so many things you can do so i've come up with just you know i caught my my baseball idea, but, you know, catch your shortstop right field and left field. And we use that again, all of course. but what it did was it made my offense so much better because they saw different ways that they were going to be defended. And, well, and now you're teaching in a static situation again, where they can apply it. And then as you go into the flow of the game, oh yeah, I'm building on what they already know. They already know this from a static. Now we can do it more dynamic. Well, in this example that uh, we're talking about applies to
1: other areas of the floor, but I, I would never teach offense and defense at the same time. In fact, I would want to teach offense first and not tell the defense any solutions, because I think so much of defense that's underrated is decision making and finding solutions.
0: Yeah, I, I think I've always people say, similar. You know what's more important? I said, well, you only win by outscoring. So to me, offense is always a little bit more important. I'm sorry, I, I just have to spend more time on offense.
1: Good.
0: I could get, I can get away with just getting motivating my athletes to play. You know, the old idea, play hard. You know, we could be very effective. But if I started with defense, playing with that, I found, especially coaching young girls. I may not get their confidence back on offense. It just took me forever. So I needed to build their confidence on offense first. And then I would load my defense to start to help them. Oh, now I need to be able to do this. Now I need to be able to do that. Uh, That was always the way I did it.
1: Yeah, such an important
0: part of the process,
1: I think, as well. So, and, And coming back to this concept of transfer and retention, because I think too often as coaches, and you've said this, Too often as coaches, we start from the drill rather than the mindset of what are we actually trying to get
0: to transfer and retain to the game? Yeah. I mean, again, when I was a young coach, you know, you, you you know, you just copy what you, what you saw. And Chris, I could tell you the exact drills I did as a high school player. And and yet we would never do them in a game. We would do the old, you know, the zigzag dribble, hands behind your back, holding the towel. Guards were in the middle lane, wings on one lane, posts in the other. And we would do that drill every day to start. And yet we never did that in a game. Never did I play with a towel, hold my towel behind and doing these, you know, step, slide, step, slide, step, slide. As soon as I get in the game, I was crossing my feet and running because I wasn't going to catch the guy. All right. But there was just, but we did it every day. Now, having said that, Yes, it did build up some, um, musculature to be able to get in a, a semi squat position and build some muscular endurance and build an attitude of toughness all, all that stuff I get, but I still think we could have just played more one-on-one full court with a purpose of me trying to figure out how I could neutralize that, that person instead of just doing this little waltz that we used to do, uh, you know, with my partner that I did against every day. So, I mean, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like this this memorization and predetermined outcomes really is what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, our our typical practice when I used to play was you save yourself for the suicides at the end of practice. Oh, yeah. You you (laughs) never went hard because you knew you were going to have 17, 18 suicides at the end. That's how you'd finish the practice because that was what everybody did. That was the transaction at the end of practice. So you saved yourself all practice. It wasn't about learning the, the skill. We learned the skill playing playing in the mornings or playing three and three at other times. That's where we would actually get to try new skills because we weren't going to introduce anything new in practice. And look, I had great coaches, but that's just the way it was It was taught. And the key was to make your drills look good. You know, you weren't allowed to make mistakes. Well, if I'm not having mistakes made in my practice, I'm upset because that's when I get You're not challenging yourselves, you, you know, and uh, it has is, it is nothing to do with how perfect your 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 uh, your practice look. And then the other one was the whole idea of you know shooting. We do these shooting. Oh, we're shooting well today. We're going to, have to be well in the game. <sighs> yeah, we were just shooting open on air contested non contested shots. That has no relation to the game tomorrow. Give us some examples of
1: creating an environment for players to become more creative in solving problems in practice.
0: Well. One is we talk a lot about the, the constraints you put on them. So so to me, it's, it's first of all, knowing a player. So let's say I have a player who, who I'm trying to work on being a little more creative. The first thing is, is getting rid of the habit. So they always go right. First thing I'm going to do is put a player on and say, your job is to not let her beat, get beat right. You can't get beat right to your right, right or to your left. So it's, you know, and then we play one on one. And they play one on one, and you know, like there's a, the point structures around. You know, if if and, and I would say if that player scores going right, she gets double the points, and that's a Dave Smart one. I, I've always loved that idea. Right. Yep. So you actually, you know, encourage that that's her strength. Let her go right, but you're telling the defense, you better learn to take it away because it's doubly good for her. Right. So now you're 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 she's going to still know what her strength is, but. When I see that they're really giving, I'm going to take that. The other one is, is you, you know, you just building, like I say, a constraint. Okay, you're, you're, you know, you're playing from here with uh, no dribbles. Not one of my favorite ones, but it does teach them to have to score off a pivot. Uh, just things like how you put those constraints into to work on that.
1: Um, can, can I stop you real quick yeah.
0: with constraints? Because
1: again. Uh, I love, I've, read you, I've heard you say this and I've read that you've said this, and I couldn't agree more. Like sometimes we do certain things like where we constrain the offense. to oh, there's got to be a certain number of passes before you can yeah. score. Can you talk about the weakness of that?
0: Well, those ones don't transfer, Chris. When, when I'm playing one on one and I tell you that you can't dribble, there is a part in the game when that actually happens. When you have picked up your dribble, say inside the, the key area, that's an actual. Situation that will transfer to the game, and now you've got to figure out how to get your shot off because you don't have time to make a pass and the shot clock's going off. So we're actually working on something. But when you say you've got to make ten passes and then you're allowed to score, well, in today's game, no one's making ten passes before you score, and and therefore they're not learning the they're not learning the concept that you really want them to learn. They're only doing it because the rule in this drill says to do that. So to me, I would rather coach my defense and say, hey, everybody's got to get up so you can't get beat off the dribble. Or we got to be in perfect support so that there's no drive. Everybody get in this gaps so there can be no drives to the rim. Take away all double gaps with support. Now this read should be that someone's open for the pass. So I would if I'm trying to improve my offense – I'm really going to coach up my defense because they're going to give the, the, the cue that's actually going to happen in the game.
1: So your preference
0: is to constrain the defense. If you can over the offense. If I'm trying to work my offense, but if I'm trying to work my defense, I'm going to constrain my, I'm going to do it vice versa. See, we always talk, you know, it's, you know, most of the stuff you see online is always around the offense, but you can still constrain your offense. And, and the thing is I'm, when I do that, I call it being more deceptive on offense. So we're going to encourage change of direction, change of speed, speed and change and, and faking. But when I do that, sometimes those things stick. And that's what you're hoping. And same thing when you when you constrain your defense, sometimes, whoa, I can actually do this in a game. Whoa, this is going to be better. Instead of the old way, you know, the old Bobby Knight way was we always do the same thing every single time. Well, you're, 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 your offense got real good at attacking your defense, but none other. But when you start to show them and, and give them creativity, this is where that creativity comes. They're, they're aware of other options that they can do on offense and defense. Uh, just just grows the game so much more.
1: Yeah, that's such a great point. And uh, can you give us some other examples of maybe const- constraints for the defense that help shape
0: the offense? Well – well, the big ones for me is, 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 is it's all around positioning first is getting, and it always goes to PVAD with me, positioning, vision, anticipation, decision-making, but I've got to get them up in a position. I did a, a an online course here recently, and, and I had a, a four and three shooting drill, which I love is a great drill. But when on the video clip, the offense just zipping the ball around, zip, 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 and it looks so good And the coach. Oh, this is a great drill. I said, really? I said, let's stop and look at how the defense is self-organized. Well, really, no one ever left the key. Even the person challenging the ball would just take that one step outside the key. And so there was never any challenge to a perimeter pass. There's never anybody lined up, somebody took a charge when they drove. And I just said, like, this is not realistic. What happens when they face a team who actually gets up and gets ball pressure? Somebody who takes away supports in a drive line and pass passing lane and has a goalie who actually takes charges. So the first thing I always do, Chris, is, is get the positioning that we want on defense. And then it's a matter of encouraging them, right? With That's where I use the horse advantage or the golden snitch, where they're rewarded for that. And, and we're clear that this is what we're focusing on in this drill. Then once you get that, then you can start to give them the options and say, look, you can look, do this or this. And now you're asking, now the offense is going to have to make some decision-making because they're not always going to do the same thing. Maybe they trap, maybe they go over, maybe they go under, they mix it up. And then my job is help encouraging the defense to keep mixing it up and they don't self-organize into the same thing. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from
1: one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called "The Ice Is Right," where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Hey coaches, brief interruption from our podcast to hear from Manscape.com. 2020 has been a year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing that you can control. And that's shaving your bush. You may be surprised how many coaches have already DM'd me about this special offer. I wasn't because I'm a user and manscaped.com is definitely worth it. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code Armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Now back to the podcast. Such an important part, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. And now if you're trying to shape the defense, can you give us some constraints for the offense?
0: Well, constraints for the offense normally is, is, is we tell them things like um, spacing that they have to play in. I mean, I can remember, I mean, how many times did we do the old shell drill in defense, but we always had it was, you know, like a box. And then, and then the first team we play would have a one-three-one look. <laughs> like players, are like coach, this is—they're not doing the same thing. So, so always start with the formation or the shape, you know. So, so like if because you know what's going to happen in a game if you're playing on a on a ball screen and you're going to tag from the the back side, well, good teams just cut that person through and they don't have that person anymore. Well, it's the same sort of thing. So we will always be changing up the spacing of our offense to make the help come from different angles, to make their decision-making different, the rotations. So it's a lot of it is just around that shape that you're going to put the offense in. Then you load in things. Like I say, those, I call them ghost cuts where you're going to encourage the offense now to start being deceptive, right? Cut, cut behind the heads, clear out. So a ghost cut for me is you, you, uh, you disappear from one spot and end up in another scary spot for the offense. So you cut, cut early to, to remove the help. So we say, okay, we're looking for ghost cuts. Uh, then we start to add screens or, you know, looking to screen the helper, whatever we want to do to, to disrupt, disrupt the defense or, or sorry, to make it more deceptive for the offense or for the defense. It's it's great stuff. And and again,
1: something coaches can think about relative to constraints in that way. And one thing you did mention there is about constraining the space for the offense. So talk to us about guidance in the learning process. For example, a pylon as a spacing cue. It's okay early in learning or for oh, the sure. undeveloped learners, right? Sure. But, the, pro- but the problem is yeah. we most often see is that that guidance left in place too long or used when it's unnecessary.
0: Yeah, so, so I first use pylons when I'm learning the language. I think language or your glossary or your terminology is important. So one of the first things I do is I have a whole bunch of those little pylons with words printed on it on spots on the floor. And we'll put the spots down, but then I'm going to get them to name the spots and use the spots. I'm checking for understanding. But then I have to say, okay, if we took that pylon away, what are we going to call this spot? Oh, that's going to be the wing. Well, how are we going to know where the wing is? We need a coordinate. We need an X and a Y coordinate. I was an old math teacher. Okay, it's foul line extended, three-point line. Okay, so now can they know where that landmark is? But yeah, those markers help early. And we might use them for a couple practices, but eventually we need to be able to get to the point where we don't need them anymore. But they're definitely a part of the the learning process for, for younger players. And I'd even say with older players, sometimes you put in something just... Put something up to just make sure they're aware of it, but then you got to get that out of there eventually.
1: Well, and that's the key part, right? Is, is again, we did, there's no issue with this. Guidance is proven as a method to help learning, yeah. but the problem is when it's there the whole time.
0: Yes. Well, it's the same. It's the same as, let's say, doing a layup, Chris. I mean, you're learning to do a layup on your own. I let you go wobble, but then I'm going to go stand just by the basket and I'm just standing there first. Then I'm going to maybe reach in on you. Then I'm actually going to jump in front of you and see if you learn to jump around. Then I'm going to get an actual athlete in there and you're going to play one-on-one. So again, I, uh, you know, the, we guide the learning by constantly loading and how we load it can can really direct that learning. And that's what good teaching is, is, you know, it's that skill equals equals the challenge. And it's the challenge they've mastered that challenge. I'm gotta, i I got to up that challenge to bring the skill up. Then I up that challenge to bring the skill up. Well, I'm glad you brought up the layup because there's
1: a, there's a huge, a great example of doing like on-air layups by and large after initial learning are, are useless, right? Because the perception and decision is completely different when you add anything in that environment other than on-air.
0: Well, I mean, at, a, a layup at first is a very complex human movement because it is actually asking you to disassociate one part of your body from another because normally you know, our hands want to do the same thing at the same time. You know, um, it, it is a complex movement to coordinate, and then you load in a defender. So, but you're right. Once they get the the basic movement pattern down, now it's more about that decision as to what type of finish I'm going to use. You know, and then is there going to be contact? Is the help coming? And it's and then then still be able to concentrate on my target. Um, the problem I have with most layups with the girls that I coach is they've been allowed to get away with doing what I call these accelerated layups where then they start to decelerate and then they end up taking an extra dribble and end up right on the basket and they have to shoot the ball almost straight up. And then soon as you add any kind of height and athleticism and anybody's been taught a shot block, you can't get a layup anymore because you're too close to the basket. They've never been taught to extend because at the context they were taught They were taught on air and don't miss. There was punishments for missing. So the girls always slowed down and did more of the shot type layup. Uh, And it just doesn't transfer to the higher levels of the game.
1: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Let's get into maybe some of your greatest hits for maybe those that haven't uh, seen you speak enough. Uh, Green Eggs and Ham. Can you talk about that?
0: Well, Green Eggs and Ham is one of my favorite all-time books. First of all, it's, it's, you know, try it it all comes down to try it. You know, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like it on a boat. I do not like, like it. It's just the whole book is about just trying to get you to try something. Then let's talk about it. So I'm always with coaches. Hey, did you, have you tried it? So don't give me, don't give me all these anecdotal, re- like go try it. But the other key thing about green eggs and ham, it was written with only, I think it was 50 words. And he did it as a challenge. So, so you can take something really simple but just by mixing the words up. Because the opening line is Sam, I am, I am Sam. Those are the first two pages. So he's taken things and twisted. So I tell coaches all the time, you can take really simple things and just by switching it up. So an example for me is my girls, we ran our our set or our trigger was we called scrape, which is just where the trail wing or sorry, trail forward would come down and screen for the ball side wing. Well, our second set was... Reverse scrape, where we would fake it, where we look like we're screening the trail forward, but now the wing would screen, and now the forward would go off. So take something really simple, but just by switching its order, you have something new. And I just love green eggs and ham because of those two things.
1: Love it too. Uh, this concept of the rules of the the rule
0: of three, rule of ten, rule of thirty. Well, that's that came a lot from Bryce Cully. Uh, Oh my goodness! I'm losing my mind here. Bryce Tully, Bryce Tully, our our mental performance coach. But it was a lot of things that we've we've done. But again, I love analogies, or I love simple things. And and the rule of three is really, if if you've been around me lately, it's your brain can handle about three things. And so we've tried to put everything in our women's side performance into this rule of three. What's your three points of emphasis? What's your three key things you're going to do? And what a difference it's made because now everybody understands those are the key things and that's what we're going to practice that's what we're going to track and monitor and that's what we're going to debrief on now the key is this make sure you get the right three right the rule of 10 is you got about 10 minutes on an activity and then you got to change because after about 10 minutes the brain goes into just you know autopilot it's not really it's not no longer storing and retrieving storing and retrieving it's just kind of gone to autopilot and then the rule of 30 this is the hardest one you got about 30 seconds to get them going. And this is the one I'm on coaches all the time. You don't have to tell them everything, you know, about the drill, get them in the right position, tell them how it starts play. And now you can start to polish it, but get them going. And that is not easy, but those are our, our, then they, those are our rules of our rules of, and they've really, really helped, really helped.
1: Yeah. It's great stuff. And, uh, then uh, obviously this is maybe more where you start, but context, who plus why equals what oh, plus how?
0: Well, anytime someone asks me a question, that's my first, my first question. I said, who are we talking about here? Are you talking about our senior women's national team? Or are you talking about the grade four girls who just come in the gym for the first time ever? And then why, why are you coaching or why is this program here? What's its purpose? What, what's your vision for why you're doing this? Before we even start in the what's and how's because most of us want to go to what's and how's right away, but I need to understand the context. And I think you as a coach need to understand that too. And I think the biggest problems people run into is when they forget the who and the why, and they start taking a what and a how that comes from a different context. You know, how I'm going to coach, uh, like I said, my, my Etobicoke, uh, girls team is totally different than how I'm coaching the senior women's team in some regards. There's a lot of things that stay the same, but there are some things that are different uh, because it's a different context. I mean, most of these players were not going to go on to, to make try to make a living or going to play pro anywhere. They're playing because they love being with their teammates. They love the challenge of challenging themselves. But there's no vision of playing at the university level. They just love to play the game and be with their friends and they love the the physical the you know getting physical physical fitness out of it too. So totally different on what I'm going to do. Uh, when I'm coaching those players and someone who's you know, trying to get a pro contract. Messaging, clear, consistent, connected. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it is very important to be clear. And to I think one of the biggest issues I see today with coaching is people who, who talk about people and not to people. And I'm on, always on coaches. And look, this is a hard one for me too, because a lot of my job is to evaluate and it's, and, and it can become judgmental. But you really have to make sure you're, you're very clear with people and direct. But do so in a way that my mother used to talk to me, which is with an assurance. And it would be, Michael, I, this is what I expect of you. And I know you can do that. And I think that's, don't avoid it. But be very clear in what your messaging is. And then it's that consistent messaging, right? It's constantly just, re- again, that remind, encourage, praise, and break down. And then the connecting is when someone walks in the gym, what, what is your ritual for meet and greet? I think, I think that's so powerful. That's like, like you're constantly connecting and letting people know. And you're looking people in the eyes and you're talking with them and you're, you're, you know, you're engaging in how's your, how's your brother and sister? How's your mom, dad? How's that new puppy you have? You're connecting into them as more, more than just a, a basketball player. Then like, that's like KYP, know your players. Uh, I just think it's so important, but also connecting to the, the idea of what we're trying to do as a team connecting to the concept uh, and building that, uh, that, that uh, commitment to that. And that's so powerful.
1: So, so powerful. So powerful. Uh, here's, here's another one, which I, I know is huge in terms of when I go and I uh, consult with teams from the NBA on down, layering and loading drills. It seems to be something that people are just really catching on to about the value of that.
0: Well, this all comes from that whole uh, flow. Uh, I cannot pronounce his name. Mikhail, sure. What's 25 letters flow in sports. It's flow, but it, it it all comes from that idea of skill equals challenge. And it's to find the right challenge to match the skill of the athletes. Because if the skill is greater than the challenge, they get bored. And I, as a coach will get bored. But if the challenge is greater than the skill, they're going to get frustrated and that's okay sometimes, but it's again, always being frustrated just leads to lack of confidence and you know they're just not going to handle. It. So, so finding that right layer. So, like an on-air drill is great for working on form and speed, and especially in a warm-up situation or for a beginning player to go and wobble on their own to figure it out. Right, and it, and there is some time we all know this one. I just want some confidence. I always want to go make a few layups. I want to see the ball go through the basket. I want to see some shots go in, and just feel good about myself. That's okay. But if that's the only type of drill you do, no. A scripted is really the same thing, but we're just going to put a defender out there who's going to help you work on your skill. So the idea of like you're shooting on-air shots and I need you to lift, get a higher release, there is no better way than me just go stand in front of you and you have to shoot over me. That is the best way to get somebody to change their shot. You can be telling them forever in an on-air drill, but just go stand and have a scripted defender there, not blocking it, just forcing them, Right. So so a scripted defender is just really it's a moving, it's a pylon person with arms who's maybe not trying to steal the ball, but helping you work on your form and speed. Guided, it, mixing it up to help with a decision. One time they deny you, one time they tail you, one time they, you know, whatever. And that's how you start to work on decision making. The next one, Chris, is the biggest one I've I've added. Um, you know, we're trying to create world all stars. I don't know any world all stars who are not deceptive on offense or disruptive on defense. Deceptive again us it's they change speeds, they change directions and they fake. So we're trying to work now a lot in every drill we do adding in deception. So so I I put I tweeted out the other day about something of, you know, like being a triple A player in two player situation. So always arriving alone in a ball screen. Well that means I'm going to have to do some deception before I get to the ball screen. Right. So every drill we're doing now, we're trying to layer in that deception. Don't just don't just run up to the ball screen. Add deception first. I and saw that tweet, if you could just yep. quickly, because I think you went A, A, A. And yeah, so so A is arrive. So so right. to me, the A piece is you just arrive. So let, let's say we're talking about the person dribbling the ball. So the first person just arrives and that's OK. But arrive with a plan. What's your plan when you arrive here? What's the position on the floor where you want this? How have you communicated with that player sitting screen? There's an, a, a ride, I call it AWP, arrive with purpose. There's a purpose to what you're planning to do. That's the first layer. And that's the most basic starting that's point. That's the starting point. You have to arrive with a plan. That's the A player, right? You got an A. The double A player, you arrive alone. Okay, now... Can you give a little, like we also, you know, fake away first Can a little hesitation. I mean, there's a little clip that came out recently with Steve Nash working with uh, a group of guys on ball screen and how he said, if I arrive alone, my passing angles are so much better when I come off and my decisions are so much easier. Okay. So that's the next thing. Okay. And usually you have to be some, you have to add some deception, changing speed, change direction or faking. But then the AAA player is I always arrive alone. And that's now building that habit. That becomes a standard that we as a team, you know, hold each other accountable to. It's not just a one-time thing. We try to make it a something. We know it's not going to happen. But it's our culture that we always want to put ourselves to that highest standard. And that's what AAA players do is they hold themselves to highest standards. And one of my teammates is going to tell me, hey, Mike, you're not making an effort to arrive alone. You got to work harder at that. Come on. We, we expect that from you. And that's when you know you got a great team. Right. That disruption, that deceive, that's deceiving, yep. that's acting that has to take place yep. to be that next level player. And then dis- and then the disruptive side is, you know, let's be honest, we're we're gonna have the defense sometimes say, hey, you guys are gonna let that player arrive alone? Get up into them. See see how they handle some little body pressure. Right? So let's see if they can they can handle that. Let's get in their head a little bit. Let's see if they can't dub- double team them this time. Let's see how they handle that. Like and and really start to disrupt, and make it tougher on that person, and that's a, that that pressure that that they're going to need, and it's not always nicely nicely. Now we do it in a in a in a way that's not dangerous to the player, and we're never going to be, you know, uh, we call it eliminate bad behavior, which is you know bullying and harassment and and those sorts of things. We're not doing that, but we got to get up into these people, and pressure them a little bit, and then there's always the compete piece, which is does the skills that you were working on show up in the the scrimmage or the game without any comment about them. You know, are they going to be able to do that actual, that deceptive into that ball screen as soon as you go into the scrimmage, or they go right back to do their habit all the time, just put their head down and go, you know, so that's the layers. And, and, and to me, when, when I'm evaluating a player, I always try to see is where's the skill showing up. And that tells me what type of drill they need to layer in uh, to go back, but I don't always start it on air and then go script it. I may start with compete most of the time. I'll start rating compete to see where they are, I'm checking for understanding. And then that guides me on what layer of drill I need to work with. You you said exactly my next question, which is again, people
1: people think I'm crazy when I say that, but start with live and then figure out what you've got to teach. And too often we predetermine what they need to learn
0: and how they need to learn it without knowing. Well, again, I learned the old practice plan of, okay, for these three minutes, we'll do this, and then 10 minutes of this, five minutes of this, and learning doesn't happen in my three minutes. Like, like I now do blocks, no more than 10 minutes, rule 10, but I know my outcome I'm trying to achieve, but I also know equal, equality versus equity. I'm not giving everybody the same opportunity in this drill because not everybody needs the same amount of time, but if we really need to be working on getting over the ball screen, the three guards that are going to do it in the game. Now this is context, right? This is trained to compete with a much more positional play younger kids. That would be different, but they're going to get the bulk of the defensive reps on defending that because that's what they need in this drill for them to be better in the next five minutes, because that's what I always tell the players, what are we gonna be better at the end of this drill? Here's what we're gonna be better at. You're gonna be better at getting up into the person and getting over that screen. That's our outcome. Go play. So this is important part of teaching and
1: people aren't aware maybe that I do this in the podcast, but I do it in the podcast too. And this, this is a concept that we traditionally used to teach A, B, C, D, E but really the best teaching is when we mix that we don't just go in this linear order and it's this non-linear pedagogy. So in reference to that, let's go back to the four phases of the game that you
0: talk about and apply your rule of three. Can you do that for us? Well, first of all, distributed learning over mass is is, is so important. The more you make me have to store and retrieve information the more I'm going to remember it and, and, and show my understanding. And that's what we're trying to do in practice. So if I know defending a ball screen and getting over is the number one thing I need these players to do today, my guards, they're going to see that probably six or seven times at different parts in the in the in the pre- It's probably something in warm-up they're doing. It's something in the first part, the skill sessions. It's going to appear in a lot of different situations. And I'm always checking for understanding. Are they getting it? Is it transfer and retaining to each of those sections? So that's the first part. The second piece is we don't do enough of the four phases of the game in practice. Transition by far in the FIBA game is the, one of the most important things that we do. And, and yet we still dominate with that half court, start everybody in perfect spots in their offense, play. And they don't learn that ability to that quick change of, of uh, possession to attack. Or the defense, that quick change, oh, I got I to gotta defend. And so to me, as much as possible, you've got to get the four phases of the game into as many different things that you do. That does not mean you have to go up and down the court playing five on five all the time. It may be just, I used to call it just inbound to OLED. All drills go to inbound to OLED. So at least we had the mindset of the quick switch.
1: Can I give another example that I adapted from you? And that's starting from a turnover. Again, people think that's crazy. Oh, we're building a habit of turning over the ball. But the reality is you're going to turn
0: over the ball. So how are you transitioning either way to take advantage or to remove the advantage? Well, I mean, I start drills from crazy positions and, and crazy ways. But I start, first of all, I individualize it. So let's say you're a player that is struggling with a certain concept. When we start a games approach, we may start you with a space pivot where you've had to rip the ball from front and space pivot and, and make a pass because that's the thing you need to work on. Someone else may struggle with dribbling left. Okay, well, we're going to start you with dribbling left. But then again, I may start to drill with, hey, I got this tall young girl. I'm going to work you on a shot block. We're going to start with you learning to do a shot block. So we just have a player, you just dribbling. I don't care. You're just dribbling into a left-hand layup. Don't you think about it? That's all you're doing. Now she's practicing getting over to try to block the shot. And then we play. And, and again, you're, you're really building on some of these concepts for transition. And you're building confidence in, in, in these little things that sometimes we don't practice enough, but can make a big difference in the game
1: huge, huge difference in the game. and uh, you know, and, and that's such such a part of this too, is thinking about the things that happen most often in the game that we need to improve at again, to be able to build that player's individual improvement, but also
0: our team improvement well, I mean, so much with with young with young female players, and I'd say male players too, but is building confidence and also building that that vision of this is who you can be. this is this is you. And that smile you see in that face, when she finally times that right and she picks that ball over the air and, and actually like catches the shot block and then starts a breakout dribble, it's like that smile is why I coach. right? And then you see them go play in a game somewhere and I go watch and you see them doing it. Now that, that's special. But, but it was because no one showed them that that's something that they can do. You know, they were never told that they can do that because they were just, you know, go in and do layups, do our shooting drill, do our shell drill in defense, then run our plays on offense. And that was your practice. Way you go. Well, there's well, so much we can show them to do and, and, and have fun with this game and be creative. Well, the other part of that is noticing that
1: they're doing it, which I find is also a struggle yeah. for coaches. Like we're so good, obviously, at telling and I'm, I was so good at this, telling players what they're doing wrong. But when I became a better coach, it's when I would notice when they're doing things that they couldn't do previously that they can
0: now do. Well, I mean, it, it's a culture in our women's high performance, but we call it spotlighting. But it could be at the end of a drill or at the end of practice. And and somebody says, well, you, you do all, all this and you, you're stopping a lot. But sometimes we just stop and we just say, hey, somebody got a spotlight for somebody and shine the spotlight on them. And it is so powerful to have a teammate say, hey, you blocked that shot. That was like amazing. Wow. And you just see the smile, but to hear that from their teammates. And it it is so powerful because they're so hard, uh, especially young female players It is so hard for them to, uh, you know, really, to really, uh, uh, no, there's not a lot of positive things being said. Sometimes there's so much that they have to hold up to, or, uh, um, I, I, I just don't know how they do it personally. I, I
1: well, because players are hard on themselves. Oh, yeah. But, low society, low but society
0: too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so the other part that you said already, which is skill and challenge and that, that part that yeah. goes together. But the other part that goes with that is skill equals confidence. The more skilled you are, the more confident you're going to be. And that spotlighting and all these different things oh, help that as well.
0: Chris, there's no question if you ask me the most important thing I used to do with my high school players was have them come in in the mornings and work one-on-one on them on skills. It was by far the best thing to build confidence and for us to have a connection. And and I still remember asking Steve Konchalski one time, I said, look, you you spent more time with Jack Donahue than anybody else, our old national team coach. What made Jack special? And Steve's answer was the walks. and 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 just... Jack would take a player who was down on himself and go for a walk and that player would come back, just world of changed. But that ability to spend time with the player and working on their skills, building their confidence, it's, it's life-changing for the player, life-changing and, and, and players will come back to you now. Like I've got players that are, you know, they're going into almost their fifties now and they'll tell you, but coach, you may not realize, but when you did this, for me, it never, I never forgot that. And that was a turning point for me. And you're like, really? I don't even remember that. But they do. They remember how you treated them. They remember that time you spent with them, focused on them, improving their skills. No, that's great. That's awesome.
1: So, coach, so, so coach, so much has been covered already. Let me, let me just maybe, as we get near the end of
0: this, can you talk about your big three? Because I think that's important to highlight. Well, of course, you know, we talked about the rule of three. So I'm asked all the time, Mike, what's the most important things? And I said, look, these are the big three. When I walk into practice, and this is with the teams I'm coaching, when I walk in with our age group national teams, and even with the senior national team, these are the things I'm watching for. And the first one is PVAD. Positioning, vision, anticipation, and decision-making. But it starts with that structure to creativity. Are we in the right position? Do players know where they're supposed to be in all phases of the game? And then what are they queuing and what kind of things are they anticipating decisions? So much can be learned from the pvet The second one is the connections. I watched some of the WNBA games and I love the fact that there was no crowd there. The amount of talk that you're hearing from those broadcasts, I just want to record them and show them to players. This is what it means to connect. And they also had a couple of players mic'd up and the, and, and, and the conversations the players are having on the floor, and it is, it's is not the noise that we used to teach, Chris. It's not the ball, 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 dead, 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 dead. It's conversations. It's, it's telling people what to do. It's checking in with them. And, and it's that reminding, encouraging, praising, and breakdown conversations. So important that you, we connect because we're a team sport. And I, I hope it's
1: okay to stop you on that because yeah. there's a huge, huge point to that, which is basically when you say ball, 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 you're not giving your teammates any
0: information oh. that helps them. They already know where the ball is. Yeah, it's it's noise. And and having said that, look, it's important with younger players to get them to get from their inside to their outside voice. So, yes, we have to teach some of that noise at first, but eventually we have to get them to give information that your teammate needs that they don't have. That's the information they need, especially on defense. Defense is very vocal. Offense is much more visual and signals and cues. But defense has to be vocal because there's people who can't see everything. So it's getting away from that noise and getting into give information that your teammate does not have and needs to be a higher performer. And then the last one, this whole KYP, and that's know your players, your plays and your purpose. So, so, it's, it goes back to this anticipation. It goes back to, you know, offense, defense, but a lot of it now is this whole idea of advantage too. Like, who am I? Who's guarding me? Who's my teammate? Who's guarding my teammate? That's an old Rick Majeris one that I've used forever. And it is so powerful to help players on it. Well, who was that? Where does she want the ball? What did you expect her to do? Right. But same for a coach. I mean, I can watch, you know, a a, a, a game and say, wow, I love that play. I'm going to put that play. But does that fit my players? Does that player have that in their skill set? Does that fit her identity, her skills? So we're constantly talking about know your players, but know what they're going to do within the plays you run. But knowing your purpose, too. Like, what do you what's that purpose of that or the identity of that player? And this is one I am really working with our, our national team coaches on a lot with our age group teams. What is this player's identity that she brings every single day? Okay? And then what's her limiting factors that we need to help her grow in? But also, what's her dream? Where are we trying to get her by the time she does get to the senior team? So that's that goes into that KYP, which is another big one. Love it.
1: Love it. Great stuff. And coach, I mean, just tremendous stuff throughout this podcast that I hope so many coaches get stimulated by. And can I just make that as the main point that some coaches that sometimes – don't like what I say or like what you say or different things like that, our only
0: goal is to stimulate thinking, right? No question. Like, like Chris being a lifelong learner in this game is all I hope people do because you have that ability to impact someone's life and I'm hoping you impact them in a positive way. And the more that you just, again, keep, it's the same, same thing to the athletes, that skill and challenge, the more you keep growing your skills as a coach to keep meeting the challenges of what you do, the higher you're going to take those players. And you never know, you never know who you're impacting. I I remember telling a story in a clinic I did in Winnipeg about a a young player um, that I was coaching in football who got injured and his mother wanted him to quit. And I said, well, you know, he's going to be a kicker and and a wide receiver he's not going to really get hurt he'll be okay well he ended up being a, a kicker for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers right you never know i you you could never have told me that, that this kid had that potential to be a professional field goal kicker or punter you never know but as long as we were trying to transform him and grow and treat everybody that way that's what that's when sports doing the right things and it's okay to disagree Right. Yes, yes. That's, that's the fun. You know that. You and I have had those kind of, I love those challenging conversations. And that's what we talk like about. Agree, Bill, but challenge. We want the challenge. We want the players, but do it in a way with caring and candor, right? Do it with, with, the, with facts.
1: Yeah. Don't, attack,
0: don't attack the person. Attack the idea, but come up with, here's why I do it the way I do it. Oh, I love those conversations.
1: Yeah, and for the record, Mike and I disagree on things for sure. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's
0: great. And that's made me a better coach. No question. And, and it's the ones where you have to go back and say, I'm going to look into this one a little more because he is pretty passionate about that. So I'm going to have to go back and look at the references that somebody has mentioned or, or go check out this website or somebody or go read this book. Oh, I love that.
1: Tremendous. Mike, thanks again. I mean, coaches, if you don't follow him on Twitter, make sure you do at McKay, at McKay MJ, Michael, uh, make sure you follow him
0: and uh, reach out and uh, stimulate your thinking. Anytime, Chris, you know, anything I can do to help in the coaching profession, especially here in Canada with our, uh, I am a little biased, but our Canadian coaches, you know, I think what we can, we, we, we have a uniqueness that uh, I think we can uh, help, help share, but also keep learning from others also.